Jason Marmon, U.S. Energy Director. U.S. Energy. Thank you very much for joining the program today, Jason Marmon. Now, I understand you're a Williston, North Dakota native, but now you're uh, living out on the East Coast. So talk to me a little bit about your oil and gas background before we get into what U.S. Energy is, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so I, I uh, well, first of all, thanks for, for having me on. You know, excited. I've been following you for a while now. And yeah, I'm from Williston originally. I graduated high school in 05, uh, graduated as a Teton in 08, played some baseball there, and then went down to Arizona and got my bachelor down in Flagstaff, Northern Arizona University. Uh, came back in 2012, and I, I started off, you know, doing some tools, working for Baker Hughes. Uh, they, I had a choice to make either I want to be a tool hand or a safety person. And, you know, with my background, environmental background and kind of a sustainability focus, I was like, well, let's, let's do HSC and see what happens from there. And that was during the height of the boom. And I was the only safety guy in Williston, Watford and Minot. So I had nine product lines. I had four facilities and yeah, that's, that's how I kind of, I got my trial by fire uh experience uh with with baker and that was uh that that really opened my eyes i guess to the uh the industry itself were you based in williston and did you travel to other shale plays or was there so much going on in the bakken at that time that you didn't they just kept you there well it it, i originally had a uh you know i I hired in that position under the the guise of having a, a mentor that uh, was going to train me and you know he was going to kind of take me under his, his wing and then he ended up leaving uh, like two and a half three weeks into the job and uh so my our boss was out of denver and he's like oh yeah you know we're going to get you somebody he's like don't worry about it and you know six months went by and no one there and then you know a year and then <laughs> and then it, it ended up getting it uh, to about two years and so I, I got to go to, you know, I got to go for different trainings in Denver, uh, made it down to the Woodlands in Houston, you know, to kind of meet the, the corporate team down there, which I was, I was kind of being groomed to be, a, you know, a regional uh, manager down there. But there were some mis- missed expectations and, you know, lots of overtime and, and weekends and just, uh, you know, too many sacrifices, I guess you could say, to where I was like, well, I need to take a step back here and realize or, and reflect on if this is what I want to do. And we ended up, you know, that was towards the end of the, the or when it was starting to slow down was the end of 2014. And some of the writing on the wall was saying it was going to go down and down and down, which I didn't, you know, I being the only safety guy there, I didn't, wasn't worried about losing my job, but it was, it was more, um, you know, it's like how much, time commitment am I willing to do here? Cause sometimes it was six, seven days a week and you're, you know, you're getting paid 40 hours a week. Oh yeah. I, I, I learned that lesson in the hospitality industry where you not only work 90 hours a week, but you work them nights and weekends when everyone else, when everyone else is having fun, you're the one taking care of their fun. <laughs> Eventually that doesn't get fun. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, really exciting. I, I learned, a, I mean, I, I can't, I don't want to talk bad about it because I learned, you know, it, it, it gave me just a broad perspective of the industry. You know, you worked in upstream, downstream, midstream, and like you, I was exposed to kind of a little bit of everything, you know, but at the same time, when you're, when you're 25 and 
you're just out of high school, you know, some of those, those, uh, old school, uh, roughnecks and those, those old school old guys don't, don't give you a whole lot of respect. And so that my first six months was, was just like establishing that, you know, it's like, I, I'm not, uh, not just some, some moron, you know, out of, out of college that, uh, doesn't know anything. I, 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 I was readily, I'd, I'd readily admit when I didn't know something and they were, they were good about that, you know, but there were still some of the guys that, you know, they just hated the safety guy in general. So there was really no winning with, with those people. Just to give you a little insight on the way my mind works there. When you were talking, the first thing you say is that, you know, I, I, I don't want to speak speak bad well hey you don't have to apologize for not wanting to work 90 hours a week but at the same time that is the energy industry because we're i mean seriously i was the same way i loved it because i'm one of those guys that i'll i'll when i'm not working i'm sleeping and when i'm not sleeping i'm working and i love it that's that's i i really am very passionate about what i do and now that I'm doing this in the energy industry, it's like amplified because I absolutely love the energy industry. And because it's just the, the, the entrepreneurship and the opportunity and the community building and quite honestly, the honesty that a lot, it's a, it's a very honest industry compared to a lot of the other industries. And I mean that it's a very black and white, very science-based type of an industry. Um, so anyway, that, that was where my mind was like, here's a guy apologizing. You know, I got tired of working 80, 90 hours a week. I wanted to have a family, you know. So uh, and that's kind of really what you're doing on the West Coast is or in, I'm sorry, the East Coast out there in the Carolinas is that um, you've got a, uh, the, the making of a desire for a family. And so you, you, you've kind of found yourself in the world of uh, innovation. So give us kind of an update where, what you're doing uh, on the family side and, and on your uh, professional side outside of this U.S. energy that's really allowing you to, you know, kind of percolate a lot of this stuff. Yeah, so I, I kind of found a, a niche, you know, after I, I left uh, Baker Hughes in 2014, you know, I went down to Arizona and I got involved in some events management. You know, I was kind of, I was kind of already interested in, you know, marketing and advertising, and, you know, I, I had some ventures that, that kind of fit, fizzled out. They failed down there. Uh, I went to Colorado, uh, did some did some stuff there. And then I ended up having an opportunity to come back to North Dakota. Uh, I did I did two events and one in 2015 and one in or two in 16. The Bash on the Grass was the first event we did. It was, a, it was in Watford City with Travis Tritt. And we had partnered with uh, the Rib Fest that's there. Uh, you know, now they're doing their own, you know, big entertainment, uh, now, but we kind of, uh, partnered with them. We got some sponsors. We brought in Travis Tread. It was a, you know, a big success at the time. Cause you know, 14, 15, 16, there was just this outcry of nothing to do other than work in the Bakken. And so we're like, well, you know, we see this opportunity, you know, me and my dad, we were kind of the ones that, that he's the one that really got that, that first event started. Uh, the next year we did Sawyer Brown and Chris Cagle, which, uh, ended up being unfortunate because the, the whole city was under construction at that time and the fairgrounds, you know, there was no road access to get into the, to the fair. And we didn't know that it was going to be, you know, that bad. You know, we, we plan these out typically like five, six months and there, there was just a terrible time for people to, to get there. And, uh, you know, we're like, well, 
you know, like this was really difficult to, to put this one on, you know, we're just going to give this over to you guys. Here's the, the template to do it. And, you know, now it's their biggest event of the year and they, they bring in headliners each time. So we, we move that to that Williston. So just this last year uh, or just in September, we had Eve six and uh, David nail as our headliners for the fifth annual Williston energy fest. And so, yeah, we were, you know, able to kind of leverage what we did in Watford City. And, you know, we, we bring a event where we give like, I think we gave like 350 free tickets to, you know, students, uh, the college, veterans, uh, you know, some of the underprivileged, I guess you could say, uh, families and, and people in, in Williston, you know, to come check out that show. We got a, we had a, uh, sporting clay tournament that went along with it. Uh, we were working with uh, the job service on their job fair, you know, so uh, from that, that marketing and advertising standpoint, that's kind of a passion of mine. Uh, it led to opportunities and, you know, for the past four years, uh, I've, I haven't had to, you know, submit or apply for a job. Uh, these events, they've, they've kind of, you know, caught, atten- caught attention of different people. For example, I was just, uh, I was on a one-year contract with Marquis Metalworks to help them with their business development. Uh, we we took their company. We in in the the la- over the last twelve months, we quadrupled their revenue uh, from 2018. And they're they're a three three-year-old company. Uh, we were able to uh, organize and, and manage the the Williston PBR where we had 20 of the top 30 bull riders in the world. We had Chad Berger bucking bulls, you know, the best, uh, best bulls in the world come to Williston. We sold out the fairgrounds and that was on, you know, our first year we had little Texas as the, the headlining entertainment on that. And we just brought a whole bunch of, of stakeholders in and, and sponsors. And, you know, it's something that, that hopefully is, is around for years to come. Cause you know, that was the, the community really, really wanted that. And, you know, it, it took a lot to get it done, but uh, it was it was quite the spectacle. Jason Marman is our guest. He's with U.S. Energy. Just giving a little background about how he got to where he's at today with a number of different things in the oil and gas industry, plus working in events and uh, doing a little bit of traveling through the energy industry. Spent a little time in Colorado, most of it in the Bakken. Uh, Williston, Watford City area. But now we're going to talk about U.S. Energy, and that's his 501C, uh, 501C3, is that right? Yes, sir. And first of all, just g- give us the elevator pitch. What's what's U.S. Energy, just kind of the overview of what, what you guys are doing? So we like to say that we're corporate community relations. We try to uh, improve livability. So we have a guiding principle. It's called our SEEDS principle. We try to focus on uh, initiatives around sustainability, efficiency, education, diversity, and safety. And we we started a, a, to give an example of one of our initiatives that kind of covers all five of those pillars. It's called Unbullied. And Unbullied is a pro-resilience, anti-bullying uh, awareness campaign. Like we did two events, in one in Watford City, uh, in 2018 or 2017. No, no, they're both early 2018. And then one in Williston where we had a, a thousand kids show up to each event. We had, uh, one Oak, we had guys like, uh, Equinor, C and J, you know, a bunch of these companies come out, they sponsor the events. They brought out their, their, uh, STEM initiatives. You know, they had, uh, engagements where we had 
you know, the jump and fun inflatables. We had Miss North Dakota talking about, you know, her platform was bullying that year. And we were just trying to, you know, build kids up, make them feel like uh, they had they, they had outlets to, to talk to, you know, teachers, educators, parents, friends, uh, to where they didn't feel alone, you know, in, in the, the schools. They, they have a pretty, uh, I shouldn't say they, well, they had, and they probably do still have issues with bullying going on, especially uh, on the social media side of things, like where there's, there's not really a, a good control for that, and there's not really, you know, much accountability, like on social media. So we were trying to just educate kids on, on how to uh, become more resilient, you know, how to prepare them so, themselves for having to deal with those type of situations. And so that would have been one initiative that covers all five of those pillars. But in the terms of, uh, I'll give another example, is we, we just helped uh, MHA, Newtown, reestablish, or they're in the process of reestablishing their air quality program. And that would fall under our diversity and our safety pillars. And so that's, uh, we helped connect them with the, the EPA, ITEP, that's the Institute of Tribal Environmental Professionals. I actually interned, with, I actually worked for that organization and interned for them in 2010. And the TAM Center, that's Tribal Air Monitoring Support Systems, they're out of Las Vegas. And so they're providing them with resources to help get them uh, up and running again. That's at no cost to the tribe. Talking about the MHA uh, Nation the yep, in yep, Newtown? Yep. Oh, great. Uh, Mark Fox is a friend of the program, been on several times in the past year, usually and also David Williams, CEO of Missouri River Resources out there in the MHA Nation as well. So, and you're working with the air quality program out there? Yeah, yeah. So it's Edmund, Edmund Baker. He's the environmental director. And they're, they're going, they, they had a couple, uh, I don't know if this is really public knowledge quite yet, but I'll, I'll drop it a little bit. They had some concerns from some of the community members. Uh, about the flare stacks that are going on out there they've had some cattle and some some horses uh you know found dead around them and they're they had to respond they used to have air quality program and then it it kind of fizzled out to to lack of funding and now they're trying to get it reestablished so they can you know kind of answer some of those questions within the community and uh with itep they, they specialize in in tribal air quality programs and they, I think they got uh, partnerships with 132 tribes in the nation. And so they're familiar with tribes that are on oil and gas lands. And so what, what U.S. Energy did was we're, we're basically just connectors. You know, like we connect uh, groups that are looking for specific things with resources or information on how to solve those problems. Seeds, S-E-E-D-S, sustainability, efficiency, education, diversity, safety. Yes, sir. Here it says on your website, founded in oil and gas regions. Um, is that just because of your upbringing and that's just, you know, happened to do well, that? Or is there a specific uh, reason that you've highlighted the oil and gas regions? Yeah, yeah. Reason being, I guess the, the oil and gas industry doesn't do a whole lot of, uh, I guess, traditional marketing. You know, they do sponsor, they tend to sponsor, and they, they, they tend to uh, invest in community initiatives. So we found it easier to work with oil and gas regions because they have, you know, challenges that that come up when 
you know, just, just by nature of the industry. And they, they try to connect with the community and they, they try to be, you know, stewards in, in that sense. And sometimes, um, there's, there's not a, there's not groups, I guess, that are filling that niche. And so that's, that's what, where we thought us energy would, uh, you know, kind of fill that gap. And that's kind of where we're at now is, is figuring out, you know, what the industry needs, like, how can we, uh, be catalysts to some of these new initiatives. And, you know, I'm sure you're well aware that, uh, you know, some of the, the climate alarmists are really shaking some things up in the industry. And, you know, we want to kind of position ourselves to uh, help provide some of those solutions or, you know, bring different strategies to the table. Well, I'll tell you uh, what, the, the, the thing that went into my mind right away when you started talking about the unbullied campaign. Yep. Honestly, climate change went right to my mind where I was going to I was going to ask kind of a smart aleck answer about are some of these climate change um, uh, activists, are they bullies? Because, okay, okay, so it's not out of line now. I mean, you got to be careful saying that stuff nowadays because the way they've flipped the switch so fast that they can be the bully and turn around and call you the bully and you're the one that gets in trouble. And yeah, that, it's, that, uh, it's 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 a very short window of opportunity for them to do it, and they're really capitalizing on that. It's it's definitely a slippery slope. You know, I was talking to uh, one of my friends who's a professor in in Boulder about this situation, and and people are often forced to pick a side, and and I don't really like to 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 pick a side in the sense that's like, hey, we're all kind of in this together, and just because you're on one side doesn't automatically put me on the other. You know, we can we can agree uh, we can ad- agree to disagree on things, and I can still be your friend. And you know, we can have uh, debates and discussions. And you know, I try not to have things escalate into arguments. You know, because that, that doesn't that doesn't solve anything. You know, when when uh, people get mad or angry, but that's that's a tactic of you know eco terrorists or, or or some of these you know far left um, actors and and uh, activists, and it's. It's getting to a, a, a point where they're going to they they are disrupting the industry. You know, uh, Exxon Mobil is is in in court today with uh, the the state of New York, and it it looks like it, it might set a, a dangerous precedent, you know, for the industry. And so, like people definitely need to be aware of, you know, what's going on and and how quickly you know those little brush fires can turn into kind of infernos. I don't think the industry has any idea what's going on. Um, when I go to the conferences and I see all these people that are not paying attention to the speakers and they're spending the company's per diem money, like you know, like it's like like it's going, you know, it's it's just endless supplies. I'm thinking, do you guys not realize what's going on here? I mean, you got presidential candidates trying to talk about banning the industry. You've got just the whole momentum of society. And this is, I mean, I was speaking on this back in June, and now it's its a movement to where you've got a 16-year-old that gets an invite to the UN and scientists don't. Yeah, yeah. It, that's, that, uh, that, that's a real statement that a 16-year-old autistic girl from Sweden got the headlining main event at the UN Climate Change Conference and scientists didn't. 
Yep, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, and I that what's really sad about that is that what I just said sounds really political and polarizing, and really, it's just reporting. Because yep. <laughs> I mean, that was a pretty factual statement, but. So uh, anyway, you lived in Colorado. When did you live in Colorado? So I was in Colorado in 2017, and I actually put on uh, the Colorado Energy Festival in Greeley. You know, I, I interviewed Hickenlooper personally, and and uh, we had Charlie Daniels as one of our headliners. Uh, you know, we had Little Texas there. We had a couple other local bands. And it ended up blizzarding the day before our show. Uh, we were set up to be in the... We were in uh, Island Grove, you know, they have that big rodeo coliseum outside and, you know, it blizzarded the day before it was May 20th was our date. And, you know, we had pushed it back three weeks uh, already, you know, working with uh, the city up there and we're like, oh, yeah, we should be good here. And nope. And so we ended up having to move it inside. Their their other inside venue was taken and, you know, we had a, a, a decent showing, but we ended up, you know, kind of losing a little bit of money and. You know, anytime you lose money on events, it's it's hard to justify coming back. And so then we just, you know, licked our wounds and went went back to uh, Williston. But, you know, when I was interviewing Hickenlooper, I was like, you know, how do we how do we bridge the gap between, you know, the conventional energies and the renewable energies and get them working together? And he's like, if you can if you can solve that problem, you'll change the world. And that's that's kind of been some that's stuck in my head you know for a long time it's like how do we get these guys you know to work together because oil and gas you know has some of the best engineers on the planet and they have you know some of the they may have the resources i guess you could say to to make some of those partnerships work it's just like you said some of these people that that not really paying attention what's going on and and how quickly the, the the whole industry is is changing and uh that's uh you know i think technology and social media has a a real big part to play in that but that's really not getting factored into you know operating procedures and and uh, business practices which it needs to be i guess the thing that really by the way jason marman with with us uh, u.s energy the thing that's really lost on me with this whole politicization and demonization and just basically trying to get rid of fossil fuels. Um, and and don't, don't get me wrong, I think, I think the majority of the people uh, recycle and they they live a clean life. And if you go back 150 years when we were burning switchgrass and wood, and then we went to coal, and then we went to oils and, now, and natural gas, We've been decarbonizing for 150 years naturally as humans just through the sheer course of science and innovation and that whole process long before any Sierra Club or special interest group came along. So I I think this crash course is really dangerous. I think this crash course of the media giving people a platform to say that the world's going to end in 10 years is really dangerous, especially that if you don't, you know, commit $40 trillion over the next five generations to these half a dozen people. That's that, that to me, I just, I don't get why the average person can't like see through that. That's, I mean, that's just bizarre to me. I don't know. It's just, um, 
What, what, what did you make about some of the climate change uh, activists in Colorado? Because they're the ones that kind of struck first and put together the blueprint on how to uh, really impact an industry like they did. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I've been following that, you know, for a while. And that's another thing that Hickenlooper had said. He's like, there's going to be, you know, some drastic changes coming up here that I don't, I don't think I'll be able to, you know, stop. And, you know, he ended up getting, you know, getting beat by a, a guy from Boulder. And, you know, now the, the governor is, is not so oil and gas friendly. And, and you can see how quickly things are changing there. You know, just, just they, they went after the low-hanging fruit, the permitting processes, and they, they made it, you know, really hard to uh, get permits for, for new wells. And so that's, you know, kind of step one in their their uh, plan. I don't know, you know how far that plan goes, but it's like Colorado is definitely the, the, the case in point of, of a aggressive opposition. And uh, when, when you're talking mainstream media, like there, it's, it's a fear-based system, you know, so fear sells. And, you know, that's, unfortunately, that's the, the, the mainstream media's kind of agenda is to, you know, stir up conflict and, and propaganda. And, and uh, I, I mean, for younger generations, I feel bad for them. You know, it's like, I mean, even my generation, like I'm, I'm 32 and I can't even watch, I don't even want to watch the news. You know, so it makes it really difficult to even talk about problems or challenges or, you know, things of that nature when you can't even watch your news. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, I, I got rid of my television in 2007, to be honest, because of that reason. I mean, and I, I, I work in the media, so I just kind of create my own news, but I, I don't really pay attention to much else outside of what's going on in my world. Um because of that, I just I, I've worked in the media long enough to know how framework works. How here's what I always tell people: if you ever want to know about the media and whether they have an agenda or whether there's a bias or whatever, okay, just a very simple exercise, very 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 simple. In the United States, there is primarily four to five news organizations. You got NBC, ABC, CBS, you got uh, Fox, and then, you know, throw in a CNN or the 24-hour news networks. Arguably four or five main media organizations where I'd say 80 to 90% of the public gets their news. Okay. So most people agree with that. Did you ever wonder why... They report on the same things. Big planet out there. All kinds of countries, all kinds of things going on. And generally, they report on the exact same stuff. Huge yep. planet out there with news. So if you think that that's the only thing going on in the planet, then, hey, enjoy your day. If you actually question whether the media has, a, has an agenda, if you think there's some control behind it, if you think it's dictated by maybe some advertising dollars or some influence, well, there you go. Ask that question. Big Planet, four or five organizations, and they all seem to report on the same exact stuff. So uh, that was always a lesson I used to uh, teach kids whenever I'd speak speak at cl colleges, and they didn't ask me back shortly after that. <laughs> well, they, they call it. I mean, they're not blatant. I mean, they're not hiding this. They call it TV programming for a reason. Yeah, it's the person getting programmed, not your channels. 
Well, that's true. I never thought of it in that way before, but that that's there's a lot of truth behind that. And um, that's back when they, they were forming words. That's that's true. So let me ask you this. Uh, we're, we're getting into some of this thing with climate change, with, with the bullies, with the uh, impacting uh, Colorado. You know, we'll take it a step further. You know, BLM and Wyoming did some things. Oregon passed it through the Senate, I believe. Uh, we've now got a half a dozen to eight, nine, ten different candidates that are presidential candidates having an open conversation it is now part of a uh, national conversation with the Green New Deal about eliminating fossil fuels. I was talking to Terry Edom the other day, the author and the uh, writer, and he brought up a really good point, which is, you know, just take pipelines, for example. So are we just going to leave them in the ground or are we going to take them all out and who's going to pay for that? Th those questions to me are the ones that are just blowing my mind that somebody could honestly say that we're, we're going to just going to do this in 10 years. That's just, I mean, when you, so my question to you is what level of, uh, of, uh, chicken little do you think is involved here with this climate change? What level of, um, truth behind what they're saying? Do you think is there? Because it's all over the headline. It's, it's impacting the industry to where there literally is more momentum behind the, um, eliminating a large part of it in 10 years well you know see that's a it's definitely a tough question and it uh it, it's hard to find the the good inf like that's I, I think that's one of the, the challenges that you know young people even decision makers policy makers are are running into is where do we find good information and how do we distinguish between bad information because in the age of information, you know, the techno technical technological age that we're in, there's just information everywhere. We're being bombarded by it. And so first thing comes to mind is how much oil do we have? How much oil do we have left? And how do we, you know, when you talk about, when you put in the context of sustainability, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge that way because if you're saying we only have, you know, 50, 75 years left of oil, how do we prepare for that? It's not, I don't think it's 10, I don't think it's 20, I think it's longer than that, but how do we have value-added oil? How do we, you know, reduce the, the trans, how do we reduce the shipping costs or the, the distance that it has to travel to get places? And obviously fracking has done a, a fantastic job of, of reducing our dependence on foreign oil. You know, but it's also added a lot more supply, you know, bringing down prices. And so in countries in like the Middle East, it's a it's a big topic. And I actually I'm planning a trip right now to Oman uh, to be to speak with the sultanate uh, or the sultan's advisors, because Oman is saying that they're running out of oil and 20 percent of the world's oil goes through their waters. And whether that's through UAE, whether it's through Saudi Arabia, you know, they're. Uh, they're trying to diversify their economy, and I got a couple of friends who um, one ha one has he owns a, a company called Art of Visuals, and he's got 1.9 million followers on Instagram, and so he has he does a very good job of, of directing eyeballs. And so, from a tourism standpoint, like we're going to talk to them about uh, sustainability, about diversification, and about global citizenship. 
and see what they have to say. And it's basically we're going there to say, hey, how, how can we help? Not tell them what we think. Uh, you know, I don't claim to be an expert on, you know, on how to solve these these oil and gas challenges, how to solve uh, the current socioeconomic landscape that energy is in, you know, but I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to learn, and I'm willing to take action on what I think is right. And that's a, you know, it's it's definitely, it's a very interesting landscape because that, like I, like I said, it's, it's hard to differentiate between what's good information and what's bad information. And that's, you know, it goes back to the mainstream media. If they're, if 80% of people in the United States is watching that, that mainstream, it's like, that's a lot of people that you have to convince of, or, or have to bring good information to because they're not really getting it. And so I think the industry is in, in, a, in a situation that they've never been in before. And there is uh, just a, a tidal wave of opposition coming. And so I think it's now is when, you know, these big companies, these, these, these majors, they need to start working together to educate the public on why the industry is so important, how it will impact their quality of life if it were to be shut down. You know, because, I mean, I like to drive. I drove here to North Carolina. Uh, I like all my amenities. I like my electricity. You know, uh, I, I like using the gas segment of things as well. And so people don't really understand the, the consequences that would happen if the industry gets shut down. So how do they communicate that? That's, uh, that's, that's probably the, the, the golden answer right there. Um, you know, with just kind of what I've learned is that if you could create a message showing all the value that they're already providing and what their products are kind of doing in a way that's, you know, that's kind of sexy. It's kind of, you know, it's almost like Hollywood type of feel, you know, where you have these 60 second feel good commercials, you know, showing all the benefits that, that people are receiving from this. And, and, uh, that's a, that's also a slippery slope because it, it would it would kind of open them up to that opposition to kind of poke holes or try to anyway, you know. So that's I don't really have a great answer, you know, for that. But I, I do think that they need to eliminate the low hanging fruit uh, of for the opposition. You know, like flaring being a, an example is, is in Northwest North Dakota. I mean, you have flares everywhere, and and that's real easy for people who don't really understand why that's happening to be like, Oh, look at this. Look at what they're doing. They're polluting this and they're doing that. And, you know, they're, they're uh, polluting the water, they're polluting the air. And so that's one of the things I think that they need to shore up is, you know, just that, that, those, that low hanging fruit and try to get that infrastructure in the ground as quickly as, as possible. Cause the pipelines, that is the, the safest and, and best way to, to transport, you know, gas and, and crude. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you talk about, you know, truck transportation, rail transportation, you know, those are all very intensive uh, processes as well. But, yeah, it's it's uh, interesting. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, it's an interesting situation that the industry is in right now. Oh, it's a full-on blitz. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, and it happened, like, in a very quick time frame like it and within a couple of years this full-on blitz just came you know it was like 
This a couple scouts came out, but I mean, you've got you've got refineries going two years in court fighting litigation against copy and paste on email machines. I mean, honest to God, you've got you've got people with with using real money just because somebody's got a very good template and the ability to pay somebody to copy and paste uh, complaint letters to a government agency and therefore they got to go through the process. They're taking advantage of being able to put things through the process. And the, the reason for the process was to prevent abuse and prevent um, shenanigans, but now it's being used in a reverse way. It's, it's being abused to prevent the abuse, if that makes sense. It's just, it's, it's basically done as a way to hemorrhage, you know, I mean, pipelines, you just mentioned about the historic court case up in New York right now. I imagine that has to do with pipelines because yep. New York said no more pipelines. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Um, and when you look at just a lot of the other uh, uh, influences that have happened in, with the environmental movement, you know, you've got what happened in Colorado. You've got the pipelines. You've got the litigation aspect. You've got the PR part of it. I mean, the whole public relations part of it is astounding to where they've gotten fossil fuels now written by the Associated Press and the media. It's already a done deal. That's the, you know, a, dirt, a, a dirty form of energy. Natural gas is pretty clean. Last time I checked. Yeah. It's very clean. And like the word renewable. Well, nuclear is renewable. Hydrogen is renewable. Some would even argue fossil fuels is renewable because we haven't even really come to terms whether abiotic oil is real or not. All I know is that every 30, 40, 50 years, they come out and say we're almost going to run out with oil and then we find more. So they still haven't even got that science right yet. I don't know. Dude, are you familiar with the term abiotic? That's where the earth actually it's, produces oil out of the mantle. So it's not so much of the uh, dinosaurs and the organic matter. It's, it's kind of a combination of that with the um, some process with the mantle. So it's just that the earth creates its own oil. It's called abiotic, I believe, is how it's abiotic is how it's pronounced. But it, it has to do with that. You, the earth will never run out of oil. It produces itself. And there's an actual legitimate scientific following behind that. And none of these have ever been proven 100% correct. So... Um, a lot of these are just based on, you know, consensual theory, if you will. Uh, anyway, sorry, man. Little little uh, Bill Nye, the science guy for you there. I had to, had to sidebar off. I bet some of the scientists are going, holy cow, I haven't heard that term since I was uh, Geology 101 or whatever the heck. But, well, I, but that's, that's a good point to bring up. And, and, you know, some people call fossil, I mean, actually, there's a decent amount of people that call fossil fuels a misnomer. You know, because well, it's it's like more like a fossil carbon, you know, or organic fuel, you know. So like the the terminology does come into play, you know, when when we're when we're uh, trying to classify, you know, oil and gas, and and it and it can make a big difference in public perception too, by the way that it's it's worded and phrased. Absolutely, and that, and that's actually how we got on this is that that was part of the blitz that happened where the environmentalists came full on against the uh, fossil fuel industry was the wording and the narrative. They grabbed a hold of the narrative. And 
Uh, part of it is, you know, I mean, I, I was having a good conversation with somebody to where the fossil fuel industry could say we're organic en energy and have a legitimate legitimate argument to say that, that they're called organic, that they should be called organic energy. And um, that would, you know, just some little things like that would do wonders for the industry. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, kind of back to your point where these people at, at conventions and, uh, you know, these big expos, like I don't really see clearly defined leadership in the industry where I could go to somebody like, you know, like in North Dakota, the governor, you know, Burgum, you know, he's he's the man there. You know, like who would I go to to talk to the leaders of the oil and gas industry? You know, when you're looking at C-level executives or CEOs, I mean, their their life cycles now are like two to three years. Yeah. You know, in, in, in some cases. And so, like, is there like you got the API, you got COGA, you got the. North Dakota Petroleum Council, like you got all these here's, different organizations. Here's here's what I've found to be the biggest problem right now in the oil and gas industry. And keep in mind, I'm, I make my living in the oil and gas industry. But the leadership has become very reactive. And yeah. right now they need to be proactive. They were proactive for a long time. They were proactive for a long time. In fact, they were so proactive they didn't even really need to do public relations anymore, and they invested a lot of money into, into government relations. So they kind of veered where their public relations went more into government relations, and they started. And there was a time for that. There was, and it was a legitimate thing. Well, then, to me, the politicians became very low-hanging fruit, red versus blue. Uh, we got to vote one way or, or the other way. And then from that... Let's see, uh, wind and solar went into the blue camp and uh, oil and gas went into the red camp. And pretty soon oil and gas became pol uh, polarizing. It became political. And all of a sudden people are now protesting against it. That was a big part of the catalyst and the fuel that helped the environmentalists get to where they are today. And that's why I say the oil and gas industry right now has to say, we need to take a step back and say there's been a paradigm shift in every single department we've had from the drilling to the HR of introduction of big data to the, to the monitoring with sensors and iPads and SCADA and all these different things. Maybe we should look at our public relations and say, how do we paradigm shift that? Because right now we are reactive. People are reacting to the environmentalists showing, you know, a duck with oil on it. They don't even have to say anything. They just got to show a picture. And then the oil and gas industry has to react. And if you don't react, you're screwed anyways. Yeah, and I think that's... Sorry, let, 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 no, me, no. let me step down off my soapbox there. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I totally agree. And that's, that's where that, that, corp, that proactive corporate responsibility piece is, I think that could be a solution is telling these oil companies like hey you know get involved get really involved in the communities that you're a part of and let those guys you know be your advocates those those be your promoters on why the industry is so important it's like you know if if you were telling somebody you know that the crude life podcast you know it's the best you know it's like you gotta you gotta listen to this thing you know it's gonna be awesome but if i were to it would be different than if i were to tell somebody that same person Hey, you should go check out the the Crude Life podcast. You know, you're, I think you'd really like it. You know, they're probably going to listen to me a little bit more uh, than say than say you because they just think you're tooting your own horn kind of thing. 
you know, and that's where, you know, the public relations agencies or, or, you know, that's, that's ideally what we'd like to be able to get to is give us big projects, you know, us energy. And I've, it's been really hard for, for us to get beyond just uh, an event or, you know, an initiative like, you know, unbullied to where, Hey, like, what do you guys have some big visions on that you'd like to do within the community or in the state? And, you know, how, how do we, how do we work on some of these things for you or with you? You know, so that's a, that's a gap that I'm trying to figure out right now. And I think that's a big gap in the industry itself is like, let your, let your partners, let your advocates and let the people that are, you know, in your ecosystem, you know, be the, the promoters, be your, be your, uh, your advocates, I guess you could say, and, and, and help you tell other people why the industry is important. Jason Marmon, U.S. Energy. Wrapping up here, taking a look at the clock. Uh, just kind of winding down here. Uh, who are your customers? If, if you care to name drop, feel free. I know sometimes people do. Sometimes, you know, there's confidentiality involved, so they don't type of a thing. But just kind of uh, who it is that you're looking for, for customers and clients. And like I say, if you want to name a couple with a project or two you're working on with some other clients, feel free. If not, totally understand that too, but just an opportunity for you to give yourself a plug. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your mind with us here today. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We were, um, you know, we were just, we just finished up, uh, a, a year deal with Marquis Metalworks. They're welding and, and, uh, pipeline company there in Williston, you know, I think they're one of the fastest growing startups, you know, in, in Williston, you know, at the moment. So that's a great group of guys over there um, working with Nova energy, you know, that's pumpers and some roustabouts. Uh, they're, uh, you know, a, another great company that, uh, that we're doing some business development work, some advertising uh, community relations with uh, base and safety would be another one that, you know, they've sponsored our events, you know, since the beginning, their safety, uh, consulting company, you know, love John Greiner and, and his team over there. And so, yeah, we're, we're usually typically working with the, the smaller service guys, you know, but trying to figure out how to get more involved with the operators is, you know, that's probably a big goal of ours and figuring out ways that we could, you know, help them with that, that, that PR, that CR community relations, or even corporate social responsibility and try to get them uh, real forward, you know, kind of that, get them away from that reactionary into that proactive uh, phase, which, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly the best way to do that. I mean, we've tried a lot of different things, you know, but that's something that we're going to continue to explore. And I think, uh, you know, as we talked about, there's pressure out there for, for them to, to uh, be proactive. And so I think we're in a, you know, we're in a good time right now. I'm, I'm optimistic that, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess that's the, the goal of an entrepreneur is to solve problems, right? If you don't got problems, you, you can't, you know, you don't really have any opportunities. So Jason Marmon, us energy, you're looking to grow your customer base to the big operator. Of course, everybody's wanting to do that. And you know, the good news is here in the crude life, we've got hundreds of CEOs that subscribe and listen to our radio shows and our podcasts and follow our social media accounts. So um, in less than 60 seconds, speak to these CEOs and these decision makers, the ones that would hire you 
uh, the big operators, tell them what, what, what you can do for them, but you know, they're busy. So make sure it's under 60 seconds. Yeah. So some of the biggest challenges I've seen, let's say the Bakken example, you know, education is, is uh, a real low hanging fruit to get involved with, uh, in, in Williston, you know, they're overcrowded right now. Uh, affordable housing would be, uh, another one, you know, to where, you know, try to try to figure out solutions to where you can get local people involved, local people, uh, the security of, of having them vested in an area to where that would benefit your workforce. That would, uh, lead to more, uh, retention and, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of different ways to, to get involved at the community level. It's just figuring out what's the right strategy for the company, what they prioritize, and we'd love to have conversations to, to figure out what makes the most sense for them and what drives value to their, their workforce, their clients, and just their business model. Where can people find out more information on you? Uh, well, I would say the, the the easiest place to go is www.usenergy.org. Uh, we're in the process of getting that site updated. Our Facebook page is at Williston Energy. Uh, you can check us out there, or you could just email us at hq at usenergy.org.